pays off so much to create your own thing and to be your own boss. There's, there's just nothing like that. Welcome to Exciting Careers Podcast, where our job is to travel the world finding stories, habits, and tools to inspire you and your career. We don't need to be rich or famous to have an exciting career, but we do need to be making a difference in the world and to feel excited to wake up in the morning to go do whatever it is we're working on. This podcast is brought to you by MaxiCareerCoaching.com. And now your host, Mari Pimenta. Today, I'm interviewing Herb Cottle. Cottle, yep. How do you pronounce it? Cottle. Cottle, okay. And he's the founder and chief technology officer of Dev Results. Herb, I understand you love to make elegant and efficient systems that solve real world problems. So my first question is, what is a real world problem? <laughs> that's, that's a funny question because I guess any problem is a real world problem. <laughs> what I what I was thinking of is these are you know these are the the problems that we're solving have to do with with some of the most critical problems that that that, that there are in the world today with people you know not having enough to eat or people um, not having prospects for education or or people dying of HIV AIDS and um, we are not involved in solving those problems directly, but we're uh, supporting the people who are and, and giving them the tools that they need to do their jobs better because um, they're working in, in very difficult circumstances. They have very specific needs, and um, there's just a space there for for us to solve some of the day-to-day management problems that they that they have so that they can focus on the work that they need to be doing. Right. Okay. So um, you man, you mentioned HIV, and so what, what are the other um, real-world problems? Like, in terms of numbers, like, what's the biggest one? What's the biggest one? Jeez. Um, That, that's it's hard to say because because there's a range of <clears throat> of problems that range from you know when, when you're talking about global poverty there's a range of problems from really short term things like famines and and uh, civil wars and natural disasters and things like that where you're just going in there to fix what you you know just to rebuild infrastructure or just to get food to people or, or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Ranging to the sort of longer term problems that are at the root of a lot of these other things. So, you know, famines don't happen because there's, because people don't know how to farm. Famines happen because you have unstable governments, usually famines are, are political in nature, for example. When natural disasters strike, they strike a lot harder at places that that don't have infrastructure, at places that um, that don't have really good health systems, for example, water systems, things like that. Uh, so, so in in order to you know, in order to have a long-term effect, they need you have to start looking at some of the some of the underlying problems like education and uh, you know child health care. There's there's democracy. There's a whole whole bunch of uh, longer-term things that people are working on to to sort of get rid of the underlying causes or the things that exacerbate these these short-term crises. Right. Uh, so the software actually helps short-term and long-term problems yeah so the, the software um, it's is a is a management tool um, and also uh, uh, it, it, it's also intended to, to help make international development work more accountable and more transparent mm-hmm. so you have uh, it's really quite complicated, and the you know, and in foreign aid, 
you have this impression that, you know, you pay your taxes and then money goes to somebody poor and, you know, in Africa or, or where have you, or you donate to a, to a, save the children and that money goes directly to a child. And it's actually much more complicated than that. Uh, you have, um, some money goes directly to, to, to government. So to the, to like ministries of health or ministries of education, um, hopefully in countries that are better governed, um, in a lot of cases, you have a fairly complicated set of network of intermediaries where, for example, U.S. foreign assistance will go to um, a, a contractor who then might hire a lot of subcontractors who then work with a lot of individual hospitals in the field, say. Right. Uh, and so you have money going in in one direction and then you have information coming back in the other direction about what was done with that money. Um, and that's, that whole process is very labor intensive. Obviously, if you give somebody money, you want to know what they did with your money. Um, and, and so everybody imposes re reporting requirements on whoever they're giving money to. Uh, but you can end up in situations where the people who are trying to do development work spend more of their time uh, reporting than they do doing their actual work. They spend more of their time than they ought to be using uh, doing reporting and paperwork and, and just fulfilling their contractual requirements to, to send data back. So the, the, that's one fundamental problem with this, with this whole thing that we would like to, to speed up, sort of free people up, to, you know, let the data flow more smoothly Mm -hmm. um, so that so that people can get back to work and do what they were, what they set out to do, whether you know it's making schools better, training teachers, uh, building hospitals, whatever it is that they're doing. That's amazing. Um, I never thought about that like that, but it makes total sense. So, with this software, is it possible to say that you can eliminate chances of corruption in a corrupt government? It's a it's a part of the puzzle. Software is a part of the puzzle. You know, software doesn't solve the, it helps the whole a problem. Obviously, but yeah, I mean, the, the um, all, all of the the donor country, the the big donor countries in the world, the U.S., Europe, um, the, uh, as well as multilateral donors like uh, like the World Bank and, and, and the IMF. Everybody has signed on to. Uh, not the IMF, the IFC, has signed on to give, uh, to, to publish in digital form data, comprehensive data about everything that they're doing, who, they, who their money is going to, who, what, what's being done with it, uh, what, you know, what, what areas they're working in, what countries and what parts of which countries they're working in. Uh, and that's that's been sort of the culmination of a, of a process called the uh, International Aid Transparency Initiative, uh, which was actually initiated by the British uh, uh, DFID, which is the British um, aid agency. Mm -hmm. uh, so every country, the last to, the last one to sign on, by the way, was the United States. They, just a couple of years ago, they 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 agreed to. To do this, and the 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 idea is that um, every every donor, everybody in every part of the chain, will on an annual basis publish um, what they're funding. You know what it is, what what where it is that your taxpayer dollars are going, uh, or in the case of, of uh, large international charities, where where your donations are going, what they're being spent on, who's Making a profit from that because there's a lot of uh, a lot of private contractors in the in, in the whole chain. Uh, what governments are, are are receiving money, you know, whether and so I, the idea is at the end of the day that with that data, so if the United States says, well, you know, we uh, funded two million dollars worth of school construction in Colombia, that a Colombian citizen can then turn around and and, and look at public records that are available locally and compare that or just, you know, sort of ground truth the, the data that they, that, that they have. 
so data is absolutely part of the part of the solution. It you know it makes it possible to control to, to just to open you know to shine light on what's happening and to give more information to to citizen you know watchdog groups or what have you that are that are that are trying to eliminate corruption in their, in their right. countries. Yeah. Well, for me, for my perspective, like coming from Brazil, <laughs> that had to be a question in my mind because in Brazil we're just so um, sad with our corruption, right? Okay, so how would you define, since this is an exciting career podcast, how would you define an exciting career? Uh, I think a, a big part of it has to be working on something that you that you find meaningful, you know, where, where it's not just uh, where where you feel like there's where you can see the impact of, of of what you're doing and where you feel like you're actually contributing to the solution of of a real world problem, something that's something that is actually making. You know, you're actually doing something that's going to make things better for some actual people at the end of the day. Um, okay, that's so, always so meaningful work. Meaningful work to others. Yeah. Anything else? Well, what I like the most about my job is is just the autonomy that I have with the with the small company. We're we're able to to well, for one thing, we were able to sort of figure out control our own destiny and figure out what we want to work on and how we want to do it. And we're very opinionated about how things ought to be done. And our, you know, we, we, uh, we have strong opinions about how development work should be done and how it should be managed. And, um, in that sense, we're not beholden to anybody to, you know, to follow their, their, their party line. So that autonomy is, is important and just being able to, you know, to get up in the morning and, and work on something that you find interesting. Um, right. And of course I have that autonomy because I, because I, I started the company, but I also try to make sure that everybody, you know, there's, there's only 11 of us. It's a very small company and, mm -hmm. and um, it's very important to me to make sure that everybody has that same sort of autonomy and feels like they have the same control over their own work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Right. As, as I do. Great. And um, so when you think of exciting career, um, but not your own, who's the first person that comes to mind? Like, is there any other professional that you think, oh, this person has a really exciting career? That's a good question. Um, I mean, mo most of the, most of my sort of role models come from the from the software world so they're that's you know, okay. people who have started their you know started software companies because that's um, because that's what what's interesting to me so um, there's a you know there, there's there's a number of, of of people that I think most people haven't heard of there's a guy named Joel Gaswine who uh, started a company called Buffer, which does. I do. I love, I've actually sent him a message yeah. asking him if he would give me an interview. Oh, he's a he's a great guy, and very very thoughtful, and, uh, and they've done some very cool stuff with. That. I don't know if you follow. They totally do. follow. I think it's their top three of admired companies in my list. Yeah. Automatic Buffer yeah. because of the freedom that they give their team. Right. I think that's like the future. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great company. And I, yeah, I, I, I met him at a, at a at a software conference, and um, it's very just very down to earth. And you know, he's just he's just a person like us, you know, that, that, that started this thing and it, and it worked out for him. And it's just really cool to see. Yeah, it's so funny that you thought of him. That's why do you pronounce his last name again? I think it's Gascoigne. I'm, I'm not sure. I can never. I keep looking at it and I can never pronounce <laughs> it right. Well, that's great. Maybe if he ever hears this, now that you and I <laughs> are fans of him together. And so you do wake up in the morning excited 
come and do your work. Most parties, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Has it been like that since you first started working? Or do you remember times of, you know, times in the past where you were like, oh man, I have to go to work? I've always been, I think I've been lucky in the, in the jobs that I've had to, you know, to always enjoy my work. Of course, everybody has um, good periods and bad periods. I, you know, if anything, it was, it was more fun at first when you're just, you know, starting a product from scratch and, you know, it's kind of on your edge, hoping that it, hoping that it works out and, um, and just writing lots and lots of code every day. Um, you know, now we've got a stable product and we're working on exciting things on, on, on top of it, but um, there's nothing like that, that feeling of working on something brand new and fresh. <laughs> right. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, is there anything that you're planning on launching? Is there anything new in the pipeline? Um, we're, we're, I mean, we're totally committed to this, to this product for, for the duration. I, mean, I think there's so many things that the product could do that software could do better or that it could do that it doesn't do at all right now uh, you know particularly we'd like to make it more of a planning and management tool and less of a reporting tool i think what drives most people to adopt software is their reporting requirements so they have to have some place for all that data to go and, and then to report it up the up the chain but it's it's kind of frustrating that um so little of that data actually gets used for decision-making purposes. In other words, it's great to have the data out there for, for transparency, and if I give you money, you should be able to tell me what you did with the money. That's totally normal. But I, uh, what I would like to see more of is this data being incorporated into the day-to-day -day management of, of projects and, and just being made available to, to managers in meaningful ways where they can analyze it and, and understand, for example, what's going wrong or you know, where they need to, to change track or what's really working well that they need to reproduce elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we, we want to enable the software, you know, make the software better so that it really enables that, 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 that kind of thing. There are people doing that, but it's, um, uh, much, much more used as a reporting tool, and just like to like would like to see it uh, become more of a more of a planning and management day to day. Right. Tool. And I, I saw that you guys give training for the software. You right. sell it and you train people. Do you train up to that level? Up to the level where the people know how to make how they could make decisions based on the data, or is that um, something the person who buys has to figure out. We're so the training that we give um, is you know we actually send somebody out to to to, to wherever people are working and um, uh, train the people that are actually going to be using the software. Uh, we've just started um, offering more of a management consulting kind of engagement along with the software to, to help people figure out how to how the software enables things and, and within their organization and how their organization might need to adapt to take advantage of that um, so that you know so that for example instead of uh, a manager sending an email to somebody saying give me these numbers you know so that they so that the, all of the information flows directly through the system and people know where they can find things and, right. um, and, and things like that. So that's, that's something that we've just started doing. In fact, Christian, who's, who's in, in the chair that you're sitting in uh, here in Barcelona, is, is, is leading the effort on that. Okay. So can you give me an example of decisions that were made based on the software? Based on, based on our software? Yeah. Um, I, I can't off the top of my head, and that's that's part of the that's part of the problem. Um, I, I recently sat or I, I, I did a, a panel in um, at the uh, the Information Communication Technologies for Development conference in Nairobi. Um, did a panel with um, 
with a guy named Dustin Homer from uh, Development Gateway, which is another um, nonprofit. It's a nonprofit in, in Washington, D.C. that's focused on data and, and development. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they did a study funded by the Gates Foundation that, that went out to... Um, Just to, I think, three different countries and spoke to hundreds of, of development practitioners in each of these countries. And um, what they were trying to find out specifically is how are people using these numbers to make better decisions? Because even if, even if all you do is collect numbers in order to report them to somebody, well, you would hope that whoever you're reporting them to is then using that information to make better decisions. But as it turns out, those people are just consolidating all the data that's being reported to them and passing it up the chain, and, and so on. And at the end of the day, uh, it, it's hard to see with all of the effort and all the money that goes into just, just all of this tracking and reporting and, 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 and so on. It's very frustrating to see that so little of that if that information is actually useful to anybody, right? Right. Um, it, I mean, it has to be there for for the purposes of accountability and transparency. That's that's all. That's all good and well. But um, where you know where are the people asking questions and answering them based on on, on, on the data that you that you have here? And I, again, I don't really I don't blame the people that are that are doing this. I think that that uh, part of the problem is that you have just because of the software options that people have you have one channel for reporting data and a completely separate channel for any information that people need to, to have to to manage you know so you might be collecting all these numbers to send to Washington DC or wherever and uh, but if you're managing the project you've got your own Excel spreadsheets and, and what have you that answer you know, they answer the questions that you need to have answered Right to to run your work, and so I think bringing that together so that you have you know single source of truth for everything that's going on in the project that you're that you're managing. Right. Um, I think that would make a make a huge difference. And again, that's on us software providers to to yeah. make that possible. You know. To yeah, maybe maybe because I remember when I did my MBA, we actually had this um, game. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a class where we just basically learned to manage a software, um, a business software, where you being the CEO of a company, mm -hmm. you can actually see all the departments and everything that's going on. Right. And, and I remember it was really interesting. Um, so it's, it's, it's almost like a separate training that I think you, ha you would have to give the leaders, right. just the leaders of the company, to have... Um, the practice of looking at the right stuff in the software to make decisions, right? right. Well, yeah, and I think what's 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 interesting is probably I don't, I don't know the game that you're talking about, but my guess is that it had more information in it than most managers have when they're when they're making decisions. You know, the fact of the matter is that is that most decisions are made, you know, kind of on a gut level without really. Yeah, with like intuition, intuition based instead of data based. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of value in all of these, all of this information that's being gathered, and we just love to see it. Right. Okay, so we're gonna have to record another interview in the future so you can give me some examples. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so today, besides dev results, what else excites you most in life? Well, I'm very excited to be in Barcelona now. I just moved here in February and uh, just brought my family over the last couple of months. And um, it's just a, such a great city and very excited about sort of starting a life here and, and uh, figuring out how everything works and uh -huh. learning the languages. And, yeah, and yeah, I want to get to that, the, the fact that you learn, you know how to speak six languages, right? 
six going on seven. Six going on seven, and I saw that you also play the piano. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! I want I want I want you to teach me how you have time to do all that. But um, before that, I want to know more about Barcelona. What? Why is it that you chose Barcelona? Because I know that you grew up in Latin America and you also lived in Africa. So from all the places that you lived in the world, why did you pick Barcelona? Oh, it's just the best city in the world. No, hands down. I'm so happy you said that because it took me three years to pick one and I picked the right one, I guess. It's, there's just no comparison. Yes, culture and mountains and beach and great. What, what I like about it, what I love is I love cities, you know, and, and walkable cities and cities that are alive where you go out in the streets and people are doing things and there's children and teenagers and grown-ups and old people all you know, in the same sort of public space. And um, it's something that's really rare in the United States, and that, that's always frustrated me. You know, the United States is very private. People live inside the private, in their houses and their private offices, and, you know, you just go in a car from one place to another, and there's not so much of a sense of this public space that's just out there for everybody to enjoy, and where everybody actually does come out and enjoy it, and, you know, whether that's, you know, sidewalk cafes or plazas or biking. You did live in D.C., though. D.C. is pretty pretty different from the usual American cities, right? D.C. is a great city, but there's just such a small part of it that's like that. Right. You know, you go past that, and it's it's a lot of driving and a lot of... Strip malls. I don't know if we should be talking about this though, because everybody's going to want to come here. <laughs> <laughs> we should keep it just for us. Okay, so um, so since we mentioned the languages and the piano, how did that all start? Like, was it because you lived in Latin America? So your your dad that tell us the story. Like, why did you go to Latin America? So my my father worked for USA, which was the U.S. Agency for International Development. He's a uh, a civil engineer, and he's retired now, but he, his, um, his life's work was building rural water systems in Latin America. Um, and, well, he, he worked on, the, on um, Indian reservations in the United States before, before going to Latin America, doing the same sort of thing. Um, but we moved to Panama when I was six years old, um, moved to Ecuador when I was 12, and then I came back to the U.S. for... For college, they live in Honduras now. They're retired, and, and they've and they've stayed there. Okay. So. And then and then from because of your dad's work, that's why you ended up in Africa. Kind of indirectly. I mean, I would say I I just always assumed that I would, you know, that I would want to spend a lot of time, out, you know, exploring the world, and you know, Africa was a part of the world that I had never. I had never been to. So after college, I, I joined the Peace Corps and um, I uh, taught math for, ended up being a total of four years in Africa. Um, where exactly in Africa? It was two years in Gabon, where I was teaching uh, seventh and eighth grade math, and then two years in Guinea, where I was teaching twelfth uh, and thirteenth grade math. Um, both okay. in fairly small, remote towns. Uh-huh. How did you like that? Teaching math and living in Africa? I love teaching math. And I love teaching in Africa. I love living in Africa. Um, I loved being a, a teacher, although it was exhausting so much. And, and we're talking about international students or we're talking about African, African students? Uh, African students. Like a public school? Public schools, yeah. In, in very small towns, the schools that I, the schools that I taught in in Guinea, um, we lived in a town that had no electricity. The schools were um, just cinder block buildings with open windows and tin roofs and um, blackboards painted on the walls. Hmm. Um, and then, how did that experience in your career um, add up to what you're doing now? Because I, I, I totally, I think that um, commencement speech of Steve Jobs where he talks about connecting the dots, I think that totally makes sense when you're talking about career, right? 
So how would you connect those dots? You know, I, did, I didn't when I when I got back from Africa and, and kind of settled in Washington D.C. I didn't. My my plan wasn't so much to focus on international development. I started doing you know uh, web development and programming, just kind of as a as a as a consultant. Um, but that was very much my world, and I and I had I just knew so many people in that in that world that um, that that ended up being almost everybody that I that I, that I worked for. Um, and then what I saw was, you know, as I was doing this, you know, sort of freelance work, um, just saw a recurring need for this kind of tool where people were actually, uh, hiring me to, to, to build from scratch a system like this just for one project. Cause that's the way that things were done. And that's still the way things are done. In a lot of cases, they'll build a big, database for themselves from the ground up and it's just hugely inefficient they you know it's not even ready until the project's halfway over and uh, and then they throw the software away when they're, when they're done mm-hmm. so so we you know rather than try and build something from from scratch just tailored to one project we decided to make a you know a, a platform that was reusable that you could you know that would work as well on a health project as in an education project Right. So how long has it been that you founded DevResults? Um, the, so DevResults is a product. You know, I, had, I had my consulting company and DevResults was just a product of the consulting company for, um, for a while. Uh, it, it first became commercially available in um, 2009, I want to say, and, and it was only... Um, at the beginning of 2015 that we actually shuttered the consulting business, renamed the company to Dev Results, and focused 100% on that, on that one product. So two years in this format. But the team that you're working with, the 11 people, are they two years or before from the consulting period? It's just grown very gradually. So, you know, we were, I think we were three in 2009. And, um, there were five or six of us in 2013 or so. So it's just right. We've just added people as we've been able to to support them, you know. And as 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 the people on the team have been overwhelmed in one area or another, we would hire somebody to mm-hmm. to take that on. But we haven't taken any outside capital. We don't have any uh, investors. We have a very small line of credit, and so we have to, you know, we have to meet payroll based on what we're actually being paid by customers. Right. So um, I want to ask you about your team, but first about the, the uh, you have clients spread all over the world or is it more focused in the U.S.? The, so the, most of the projects are funded some way or another from, from the U.S. We have a handful of of non-US projects, um, European um, European funding. Um, we'd, we'd like we'd certainly like to not be completely US focused, and so that's something that we that we intend to, to to change. But as far as the actual work being done, it's all over the, the developing world. Um, and, um, so it depends. The people using our software, they might be in Washington DC, they might be in Kampala. You know, they, they, they might be out in the field in, in, a, in a rural hospital, um, and so when we, you know, when we train people, we, we meet them where, where they are. Right. And so about the team, how are you? How do you choose? You know, your team. That's been. Uh, I mean, first of all, we've been we've been pretty lucky. We haven't made many bad hires. Uh, uh, and when we have, we've kind of realized it right away and, and, and been able to correct that. And, um, we, so we, about half of the team is programmers and the other half is, uh, data scientists, uh, you know, support training. That's actually all kind of one roles, uh, sort of the everything else, you know, the, the, uh, 
the support of people that are actually using the software. Um, for programmers, it's fairly straightforward because um, you can watch them code. And so we'll, you know, once you get to a certain point, we'll have, uh, we'll spend hours with them just giving them specific things to do. In some cases, it'll be just like short problems to solve, you know, write a, an algorithm that does this, write a program that does this. Uh, and you just sit there and you watch them and it's very, it becomes very apparent very quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many people lie on their resumes about, or just exaggerate or whatever. But if you didn't have that, if you didn't have that real world piece of it, you just never would know. Really? How, you know, people will say they have 10 years of experience writing something and then you sit down with them and it's very difficult for them. Uh, Do you use tools like Upwork and Fiverr um, to hire people remotely? Or is that something you do face-to-face? Um, -face? No, what kind of tools do you use to... So everybody that, everybody that works for us is full-time. We've never used any, any short-term contract or consulting work because we want everybody to be very much invested and engaged in what we're, what we're doing. So, so we have full-time employees. They, they you know, have full benefits and health care and, and profit-sharing because we, you know, we want people to be with us for the long haul. To really get their head inside this problem space and and understand it and you know get to know people they're using the software. So everybody's uh, you know when we make a hire, it's a big deal because we intend for it to mm -hmm. to, to last for a long time. But everybody does work remotely. Um, we don't have any real geographic requirements as long as you have a fast internet connection, right? Um, and a place to work with reliable electricity. <laughs> so uh, that's it, it'll work for us. And, and most people are in the U.S. Most people are in the are in the U.S. Um, we have one programmer in Buenos Aires, and then um, Christian and I are here in, in in Barcelona. In the U.S., we're but we're scattered all over the place: Seattle, Pennsylvania, Utah, Washington. Anyone, anyone in Brazil? Not yet. <laughs> um, so, okay, so about just uh, closing up the tool. So do you use like LinkedIn to recruit and find people or is it just asking friends for recommendations and referrals? How do you normally do it? Yeah, so, uh, so for programmers, we usually uh, rely on uh, the Stack Overflow network. Are you familiar with uh, Stack Exchange or Stack Overflow? So it's a, Stack Overflow is a, is a question and answer site for, for programmers. It's that's gonna it's gonna be your main Google hit when you search for some any sort of programming question. Oh, interesting. Um, What's the name of it? Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow. And it's um, all it's a you know it's a, obviously a community built thing. So people answering each other's questions with their real names and profiles and and so on. And they've built you know part of their business model is that they've built a careers site on top of that with the idea that you can kind of see people's reputation on the site and um, Interesting. Uh, get a sense of what they're good at and what they're what they're excited about so that's been a, that's kind of been our, our starting point mm -hmm. um, you know they have a huge database of, of of programmers and you can put a job ad out there and, have you ever heard of remoteok.io mm -hmm. You should check that out. It's from this dude called Peer Levels, yeah. which is another one I'm high on my list that I want to interview. He is this genius guy on my perspective. He developed this um, website called nomadlist.com, which is like the Bible for digital nomads. Okay. It actually tells you what's the perfect city for you to live in based on internet speed, cost of okay. life. He just has like, I don't know, more than 100 filters. Right. Women friendly, gay friendly, you can just choose the filter you want. Right. And then he developed remoteok.io, which I use to hire, because um, LinkedIn is charging like $150 per job post. Right. And remote okay is for free. And it's, there are many programmers there mm -hmm. because maybe he is a programmer and coder. Right. Um, I found it useful. So, is it true that you have visited 47 countries and you speak six languages? I, I think that number is up to date. I'd have to... Is really? I can check. <laughs> Last time you counted? Last time I counted. Uh, man, 47 countries is a lot. 
Yeah, um, a spreadsheet. Uh-huh. And the rules are you can't just be in an airport. That doesn't count. Uh, that's good. You have to either eat a meal or spend a night okay. in order for it to for it to count. Yeah, and and it's forty seven. I think so. Yeah. I, I can I can look at my spreadsheet. Yeah. How long do you have to be somewhere for you to consider you actually live there? Oh, I think you have to have all of your stuff over there. I, I'm not sure, like in a, you know, for a digital nomad. The, what the rule would be but because that's a question I ask people like some people stay a month and they say they live there to live in, right? yeah that's I'm, more of a long vacation <laughs> yeah that's how I feel and the six languages did that happen like gradually organically yeah and so I learned Spanish of course when I was six um, I learned Portuguese when I was a teenager um I learned French when I went to teach in Africa because I taught in French. Um, what else? Um, I learned uh, Pular uh, or Fulani, which is an African language when I was in Guinea. Um, and actually I wrote, a, I wrote the, the Peace Corps training guide for the, like a, like a, a grammar and exercise book for, for Pular. Um, I learned Italian just because I wanted to, and, uh, and I've learned Catalan since I've been here. Is that seven? You're you're already you're already communicating because I know you told me your kids are studying Catalan, right? They're they're in school in Catalan, and, and yeah, I, I can communicate quite well. <laughs> so you have that gift. Yeah, you yeah, just have easy. that gift. Some people are born with that, right? It's easy for me. Yeah. yeah. And I read, okay, about the piano. I'm curious. So how do I pronounce Prokofiev? Prokofiev. And you've been um, trying to learn how to play this sonata for over, I don't know, 25 (laughs) years now or something? On and off. Yeah. So how did the piano get into your life? We just always had a piano. It was was never a question when I was growing up whether we were going to learn to play the piano or not. It was just something that we were all required to do. And I fought it the whole time until I was a teenager. And then then it was a cool thing. And and I started to actually enjoy it. And um, I took a little bit of piano in college, but it's just been kind of a hobby. Uh And you you still have a piano in your house here? Really? Yeah. I transported a, a grand piano from the U.S. And how, how often do you play? I haven't been playing that much since I've, since I've gotten here. Um, but, you know, usually, um, you know, every day, a couple of times. Do you consider that a performance tool? No, I don't, I don't like performing actually that much. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, like a stress reduction type meditation, like, yeah, like helping you to perform better at whatever it is that you do. It is, it is very relaxing, and, and you know, when I was when I was working at home, uh, that's actually one of the one of the downsides of having an office outside the house. When I was working at home, I would just go downstairs and and play the piano and then go back to work. <laughs> If I was stuck on something, you know, it just like gives you something else to to do. Or brain works on interesting do you meditate is there anything else that you do like physical exercise something that helps you produce more um yeah I mean I, I I've tried meditation and I've never gotten like it's never really taken with me I just need to 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 get back to it <laughs> And give it a, give it another try, but yeah, I I, I run and I, I ride my bike. Um, right, that's always good for clearing my head. Okay, yeah, I'm asking you because that's one of the things that I help my clients with, and I'm totally into meditation. I did my first 10 day silence retreat in Thailand last year, wow. and I'm going to do my second one now in October. And I decided um, once a year, I need to shut up for yeah. 10 days. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome and I actually just saw a book on your shelf which matches a question that I have for you so D3 um, J, how, do you, how do you say that? D3.js D3. dot J.S. Uh-huh. 
That is so cool. I saw that on your, I was reading something about you and I saw that you were into it. So I was researching and I have never seen that. So it's actually a tool that you can gather data and transform it into art basically, right? Well, it's, it's visualizations. I mean, you could make art out of it. It's, uh, it's intended to be informative. Um, the cool thing about D3 is that it's, you know, most visualization packages, like, you know, the charts and stuff that you can make with Excel uh, really limit you to, you know, you want to make a pie chart, you want to make a, a, a line chart, you want to make a bar chart, you know, and you have 27 choices and then, and then that's it. Whereas D3 is it's kind of, uh, you know, it's a library is what they call it in, in JavaScript. So it just gives you these sort of raw tools that makes it much easier to generate these these visualizations, but sort of the sky's the limit. So there's just all sorts of really cool, cool things that you can do um, to take data you know, on a live basis and turn it into visualizations. The guy who, who designed it is, the guy who built D3, Mike Bostock is another, one of my heroes. He's just, just brilliant. Uh, and he was, uh, uh, he worked for the New York Times uh, up until up until recently, and if you've if you've seen any of the really cool um, online interactive visualizations that the New York Times has, he was probably involved. And yeah, there's just been some really cool stuff. That's awesome. I was actually going to ask you to pick one for me to include as notes in the podcast, so people can actually see what we're talking about. A visualization. Yeah, because I saw a yeah. bunch of them, but you're probably more. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll just find a couple. So I can include the link. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that you can actually make a little like picture for the office. I was thinking like, oh, yeah. you know, what information do I want to share in right. something like that? That is the, an interesting question. So, okay, now um, changing a little bit here. <clears throat> thinking since, since people who normally hire me are going through this a moment in their career um, where they're usually a little depressed, not so happy with what they're doing. Some of them are actually taking medication to be able to go to work. And they're trying to find what it is that they're, how can they go back to having an exciting career? So what suggestion would you give to somebody like that if they came to you asking for help? Well, this, this doesn't apply to everybody, but so many people that I meet in those, in those situations could make a lot more money than they're making now and have complete freedom by just quitting their jobs and doing the exact same thing as a, as a consultant or as a freelancer, just as a, as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are really, really scared of doing that for good reason. I mean, if, you know, if you're the only source of income and, you know, just the pressure of, of that not working out, um, you know, there's good reasons to, to, be, to be cautious about that. Um, but I've never met anybody who's gone down that road that's, that's regretted it or, or gone back because it's just, you know, it's just a completely different ball game when you're, you know, you get so much more respect from customers than you do from bosses, I've found. You know, when somebody actually hires you for, you know, for a, for a project and says, we're going to give you this much money to do this, then they, they have, they respect you and they, you know, they're, they're respectful of your time and um, in a way that, that you just don't see that much in, in employee-employer relationships. Right. Um, and it's, 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 it's so doable. It's so doable. You just need to, to kind of have, you know, the guts, the guts to take, to take that, that, that step. Liberating, um, right? Yourself from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always tell people to, um, yeah, like you said, it's fear. Yeah. The, the bigger, the biggest block is fear. Um, but traveling. I think that traveling helps because once you're in that that knot, you need to change perspective. Yeah. So I think that a three month at least 
trip. Um, and I tell people about Thailand all the time because uh, it's just so cheap. And you can actually live in Thailand for a year uh, with probably what you would spend in your local town in right. a month or two. And just relax and think. Clear your head. Yeah. But I totally agree with you. And it's funny because there are so many people. I think Brazil is still very conservative in terms of job, career. And people are still, they still think that if you work for a big multinational, it's always better right. for your career than being a freelancer. Right. Um, I think the U.S. is totally different from Brazil in that perspective, right? Yeah. Um, so, okay. And um, if, since you, you call yourself a web developer, there was a time in my career where I just wanted to get all the web developers in the world and kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> so, for a small business owner who's just starting, doesn't have a lot of money, and they need a web page, what's your suggestion? Is it WordPress? Is it Squarespace type solution? Because this is like a huge barrier for all my clients when they're right. starting their new businesses. Well, I can tell you that it's a lot better than it, than it was when I was in this business. I mean, the short answer to your question is I've been out of, out of the web, sort of, you know, custom website business for, for so long that, uh, that I don't have that clear of a picture of what the options are now. But I do know that, you know, any time that I, that I have taken a look, um, it's just amazing how much easier it is than it used to be. Because, you know, when I, when I first went out on my own, you didn't have any option but to either, you know, do it from scratch in HTML yourself or hire somebody to do it in scratch from HTML yourself. There, you know, there were no blog engines or CMSs, you know, out there, uh, like there, like there are today, I mean, you know, these huge libraries of templates that you could choose from to to get started. Right. So my perspective on it is that you know it could be a lot worse. Right. So don't don't shoot the web developers; they're on your side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I personally chose WordPress, but I kind of regret it now. Uh, for a person like me, who's not into computers right. at all. Um, it's just so many plugins. It's just so many themes. Yep. It blows my mind. So I think a solution like Squarespace, where you pay twelve dollars a month, is much easier for yeah. a person, especially uh, people who are over fifty in Brazil hiring me. They, they have no idea how to deal with WordPress, and web developers can be expensive. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, which transaction or deal? Um, have you done in your life that you're proud of, that you're most proud of? I don't know if you can talk about it or if it's confidential. Well, one of the, one of the most satisfying transactions that we, you know, contracts that we, that we signed was um, with uh, a large development contractor who uh, that that I had done uh, a lot of work with when I when I was much smaller and actually uh, had created the first version of Dev Results for one of their projects. Um, and I mean, this this is a this is a very large. Uh, Company half a billion dollars a year in in business and um, and and I had built this first version of their results for you know, for for one of their one of their projects and then a handful of other projects within the comp with that you know that they were implementing um, had had started to use it and then the results kind of took off elsewhere outside that organization and um, and a lot of uh, just a lot of different people were using it, and uh, a few years later, they sort of circled back to us, not even really knowing the history, and and, and saying, "Hey, we'd be interested in using their results 
uh, for the entire organization standardizing on it. Um, um, and so we've, we, we, we signed that a couple of years ago and, and um, we're still working through the implementation because it's huge um, and, and right. a lot of individual projects that, that, that need to figure out how to use it. But it's just been great to see you know, see recognition come back around that way, you know, um, we're really sort of struggling within the organization, you know, to, to get, get other projects to, to start using it. And then, and then a few years later, they just decided to, to, to do it throughout. Right. So that's when you jump from three to 11 people in the team. Now, actually, um, I mean, it was, we, we hired probably a couple of people on the, on, on the strength of that. Um, but we, you know, we had we had already grown to the point where um, you know didn't like double our, our business or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it de it definitely gave us a lot more stability and, and just that sort of name recognition. Um, to right. be able to say, uh, you know, that these organizations have standardized on on their results across the entire organization. Right. So what's the biggest challenge for you? Like, if you think of a perfect business future for you five years from now, what is a challenge that you would like to overcome? Like, is there any goal? Well, like I said before, you know, we'd like to make, we'd like to go beyond the problems that we're solving today and, and be more of a complete solution for people that are that are doing this work we'd also i think it's very interesting to see that in the united states the non the the domestic nonprofit space has the exact same set of problems that the that the international development space has reporting and sort of quantifying their accomplishments and and all of that and so i think that there's that there would be room to to branch out into that into that market um, you would think that there would be a lot of sort of interaction between the international development space that is, you know, working to solve to, to solve the problem of poverty worldwide and all of these NGOs that are focused on the same problems domestically. Um, but those are two kind of completely separate worlds that, that don't interact very much at all. Um, right. So what you're saying is the challenge is for you to... Um offer the services to more people or to offer a wider service to the people you already serve? Well, both. 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 Yeah. Um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like for the results to be a household name in the, in, in the niche that we occupy right now in international development for it just to be the standard that everybody uses. Um, but I don't think there's any reason for us to stay confined to that niche because there's a lot of there's a lot of problems that we've solved in a way that are generalizable to a lot of management problems mm -hmm. um, that you know, I think would make sense to, to to use the software in a lot of other contexts besides international development so I'm just curious um, what's the percentage from like your client base that are public and private public money and private money it's mostly public money. There's a few foundations, and um, you know, but, but even you know, even the NGOs that, that take a lot of donations, like Care or Save the Children, they're also implementers for for the large aid agencies. Right. Um, so there's very few people that just rely completely on on, on private donations mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so yeah, ultimately, it all comes from the U.S. government now. The, the people who who implement the work there's there's a mix of nonprofits and and for-profit contractors and really the difference between them is not as not really anything that you would notice you know you've, you it's hard even hard to keep it straight you know which which organizations are for-profit and which ones are nonprofit because they're all sort of competing for these grants or for these contracts you know they all want to do the the, the, the same work, right? Um, and they're all good people, you know. There's there's um, 
there, there's very few organizations out there that are just in it for the money. You know, they're, they're, it's the same sort of people that work in both of those yeah. types of organizations. Yeah, that's nice to hear. That's good. Okay, um, five more minutes here, and, uh, and I'll, I'll try to stay with one hour, as I promised. Have you ever had a coach? I haven't. I've needed a coach lots of times and, and uh, just haven't. I mean, I've had, I've had kind of mentors, you know, uh, just people that I could turn to with, with strategic questions or what, what should I do about this. But there have definitely been times when I could have used, it, used just some advice from people that just mm-hmm. did nothing but that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, about the mentor, because that's something that I think is very powerful. When I, I, I work with people, I ask them to make a list of the 10 professionals they admire the most that they know. And of course, if those people also have a good network, makes it even better for them to share their career transition plan with those people and get feedback from them. Do you do that? Do you actually discuss your bigger decisions with your mentors? I, I do. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of, of people that I've specifically asked to be available for, for just that sort of thing, you know, strategic questions that we have, um, whether it's, you know, to hire this kind of person or this kind of person or, or um, you know, how we should think about a deal that we're, that we're considering. Or, or, or even, you know, what direction the software ought to, ought to go in. Some of them are customers, um, and their perspective is, is really useful. Um, others are just smart people that are, that are, that are in this field. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think one of the things people don't realize is just how, how available people are to give you advice. Nobody's offended when you when you ask. You say, you know, can I have a half an hour of your time to give me some advice? You know, it's actually the opposite. They actually feel recognized. It's, it's hugely, yeah, and uh, more people ought to do that. It's, you know, because because that can be, you know, it's 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 the advice is hugely valuable and just sort of um, thinking through these things with with people it sort of gets them on your side as well. Um, Right. You know, thinking from your point of view and, and you know, wanting to, to help. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it can take sometimes a year, but they'll bring you back something. Because yeah. you plant this little seed yeah. by telling them that they are right. on your top admired professional list. Right. They kind of want to stay there. Yeah. And they want to bring you back something. Yeah. And, okay, um... I, I, I mentioned the digital nomad thing. What's your opinion? Do you, do you know anything about this tribe? Do you think it's crazy? No, um, I think it's I think it's awesome. I you know, uh, one of our most valuable people on our team uh, is currently in the process of moving from city to city, just to find where she wants to to settle down. Uh, and I think it's I think it's very cool. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, when I when uh, when I didn't have a, a family, uh, I didn't really have the option of making a living while while traveling. And so any traveling that I did had to be kind of in between the uh, you know in between jobs. You know, this being before the internet. I could just pick up and, <laughs> and 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 go to go to Thailand and make a living from there. Um, but it's just awesome that that's a possibility now. Yeah, it it blows my mind how you know the number like this site that I told you, Nomad List. Yeah. It, when I first joined about a year and a half ago, it was I think like two thousand people. Last time I checked, it was almost fifteen thousand people already. So it's growing exponentially. Yeah. I think people were so. You know, like it's like water in the desert. Right. People wanted so much the freedom of being able to work from anywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Have you actually been to a co-working um, area environment 
because here we're inside um, cloud co-working. Have you worked from different co-workings around the world? Or? Um, we have offices at WeWork in Washington, D.C., uh, which is it's a huge co-working company in the, in the United States. It's like a, a chain of, that does, that does it very well. Um, they've figured out kind of all the little things that can be annoying to people about co-working, and they've, they've, they've fixed those. It's very nice. All right. very we, nice we work? We work. How yeah. different is it from here? It's just, it's just more sort of professional, you know. And I mean, I like the fact that we know the guys that own this and, um, you know, if you have, if something's wrong, you just go complain to them or, 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 or whatever. But um, it's, very, it's, it's, a, it's a very cool uh, thing. But I, I've, I've worked there. We actually did a little tour of, co- of co-working spaces in, in Washington, D.C. as they were, as that was becoming a thing. Uh, so at one point there was only one in Washington D.C. and we were there, and then another one came up and we moved to there, and then we worked and, and, and we moved to there. Right. Uh, then here in Barcelona, uh, last year I was here for a month and, and worked at Veda um, uh, House in Gracia, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and you know, then looked around a little bit more for. Uh, when, when I was actually moving here and wanted a place that had a private office but still was in that, yeah. in that kind of environment. Um, yeah, but this view. It's amazing. Right? <laughs> I, I couldn't leave. Yeah. I was going to go to a different one that I worked last time I was here, Crack, which is great too. But when I came here, I just fell in love with this view. Yeah. We're so lucky. Okay, so just to finish here, um, if people want to reach out or ask you something, how can they find you? And yeah, like what's your last suggestion for, for people who are still looking for an exciting career? My advice is just to, you know, just to stop thinking about it and, 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 and do it and, you know, be willing to, to, to make that leap because it's, it pays off so much um, to, to, to do, to create your own thing and to, your own boss. Um, there's, there's just nothing like that. Um, I'm at Herb at DevResults.com, H-E-R-B at DevResults.com. Do you use Twitter at all or Instagram or? Not that much, no. No? Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for your time. This was great. And yeah, I hope to talk to you in the future and hear more. <laughs> it's been good. Okay. This podcast is brought to you by MaxiCareerCoaching.com, where you can download the transcript of this interview and subscribe to our free courses and newsletters. We'd love to hear from you and to know about your exciting career story. Be sure to tune in again for our next episode of Exciting Careers Podcast.